0: This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico, and as usual, I'm glad to be joined by my good friend Sam, and today we are discussing the book Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products by Near AL. So Sam, how did you like the book, and what are your main takeaways from
0: it? I really enjoyed the book, because it's quite close to home in terms of what I've been doing in sort of social media, trying to change that, whilst also trying to build something that's addictive technology, but like in a good way that makes people like happier and forms good habits so like positive addictions as opposed to like getting away from the negative addictions of other apps that aren't healthy for them so it was super useful to just learn lots about how that's all going on and yeah i can give a bit of a summary broad line to introduce it and essentially his hooked is about companies that attach their products to internal triggers in the users minds to create like really strong user habits and a habit is defined as a behavior done with little or no conscious thought which means that you just start using this technology without even thinking about it it's just your go-to like not sure what to do i'll just be doing this basically most of the book is just him explaining the model around how people become hooked and it starts with an external trigger which sort of simulates to do the behavior so like you get prompted to join facebook by your friend or whatever and then that's number one then number two is you then do an action So this is a behavior in anticipation of a reward. So there's something that like some kind of pulley that leverages you to like make this action and things you want to do is make it as easy as possible and give you motivation to do the action. You then have the third area of this, which is like the variable rewards, which is really interesting. So if you just have like a consistent reward that people are going for, it kind of becomes boring because you know exactly what you're getting in out it's sort of constant. Whereas if you're not sure what you're gonna get. So like every time you post a photo on Facebook, you don't know if you're gonna get like a hundred likes or two likes or like a thousand likes. You could go viral at any point. It's always a bit more exciting. And whether or not you post a photo, when you just open your Facebook, it's like maybe there's going to be a notification for me and they'll like they'll change how many notifications you even get like on purposely to make it more variable and more addictive. And it sort of just stimulates your constant like internal triggers to keep on going back to it. And then finally there's the investment part of the hook model which is where you actually invest time into creating more triggers for you to go into it, such as like posting photos that people are gonna then like tag and like give you a reason to then go back and see what people have been saying. And once you've done all those four, you'll go back to the first trigger, but the the triggers are now internal. So you don't need external triggers like adverts or things to get you onto the app. Like it'll just keep on happening. And that's sort of the main premise of it. And we'll go a bit more deeper into those things and then discuss like the ethics of how to do it well.
1: Yeah, I think for me, From the whole business series that we did, I think this is the book that I would most highly recommend to everyone. Because if you're listening to this podcast, this framework has been used to make you addicted to some kind of social medium, some kind of product. And I think it's very useful for people to understand how these companies build the products. And because that is going to be the first, like the best way for us to combat like getting addicted to these products? Because I'm not sure, like I think a lot of companies build addictive products thinking that it's in the user's best interest, but I'm not sure that I agree with that. By the way, it's pretty funny that the word user is used with tech companies and also used by drug dealers. But yeah, I think it's a very important book and I really like it. So yeah, let's dive into it. One more point I'd like to make, a 2006 Duke University study found that 40% of the things that we do, the actions that we take are subconscious like habits. And so I noticed I have tried to take some time in the morning, right after I wake up to just put on the timer and I do nothing. I just sit. I learned this from our hero, Naval Ravikant. And I just tried to not touch my phone, don't read anything, don't listen to anything. Maybe I'll do some stretching. Maybe I'll try meditating. Some way to clear my head, get my thoughts out of the way. And so I can like start the day fresh. And so if during that time I go to the toilet, I sit on it and I found like suddenly I have my phone in my hand and I'm like doing something on there. And so it's so clear that I have like an unconscious habit of just taking out my phone. And usually for me, since 10 years, I've been using the 9gag app. 9gag was like a huge thing like 10 years ago. I still use it just to to watch funny memes and stuff. It's usually not that funny, but still I I, I am in the habit. Yeah, I just always use it. Anyway, sorry. That was my experience with it.
0: No, no, it's, it's nice. That was pretty much the same as like my TED speech around the way you just sort of all those moments now we just get taken up. And there's a good quote at the start of the book from Paul Graham that says like, as tech progress continues, the world will get more addictive. And it is just every app like is having to fight for your attention. And so they are just doing things to make you more and more addicted and that they are all becoming like subliminal habits. So any point you're like not sure what to do, there's always a way to optimize your time that will give you some form of reward. And so just sitting on the toilet is not as rewarding sitting on the toilet whilst like reading memes. And you know that you'll have like a laugh and like something will be useful whilst you, it'll be more interesting than just sitting there like with your brain where you're like, I'm not sure it's gonna come out if I just sit and think whilst like I'm taking my poo. It's like, <laughs> whereas you do know that you'll laugh and have fun. And so it always makes sense to like get your phone out. It's like this constant like, distraction device inside you ready for like your reward. Yeah,
1: exactly. Cool. All right. So we're already getting into the ethics of it. Let's talk about the triggers. I think we can go through the, the four different parts of the model. And so there's there's two types of triggers. It all starts with an external trigger uh, because if you're going to have to be introduced uh, to some kind of product um, and that's what external um, triggers are for. And so first you have paid triggers. And so paid triggers are usually advertisements or search engine marketing. Let's say you want to be entertained. So I'm looking for memes on the internet. That's one way in which you find 9gag or whatever as a website. And that's then an external trigger for you to get on the website and start getting hooked by it. The second form of triggers is earned triggers. And so when I think about, okay, I want to eat something tonight. I don't have food at my place. so I want something delivered. The product that comes to mind for me is Deliveroo. I don't know if it's, if it's a thing in, in the UK. But here in Belgium, we have Deliveroo. And so basically they have these people driving around with Deliveroo on it. And because it's the same word for me, I have like a trigger that whenever I you know think about some food that I want delivered, I'll think about Deliveroo. And that's probably the service that I'm going to use. Then there's relationship triggers. And so relationship triggers is the example that some friend invites you to join a platform like Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And then there's owned triggers. And these are products that you have at home. So I think phone is, I guess, a good example. It's something you own. You have it in your pocket almost at 100% of your time. And so it's always there ready
0: for you to grab. As a business has that trigger. So as in, let's say you sign up to a newsletter, the business owns the control of when you get that newsletter. Or, like, if you have the app and, like, you know, they have the the app icon and the notification, suddenly they, they own that channel to your attention. And so they can like constantly be advertising to you to come onto the app or do something.
1: They can put like a little one in the top right of the app icon and people just have to click it because you need to get rid of that one. Yeah, exactly. And so these are all external triggers. So different ways in which companies will have users start using their products. But some of these are as important as the internal triggers. And so internal triggers are like this internal itch for me personally. Whenever I get bored, I tend to take out my phone. And so this is an internal trigger that I have. And I have three or four apps that I default to that will make me not bored anymore. And so actually what happens is companies, they try and couple their engagements to pre-existing Condition. And so for me, for example, like whenever I sit down on the toilet, I get up my phone and, and scroll line gag or do something else. And that's what companies actually strive for. Maybe it might be interesting now when we discuss triggers to reflect for you on how you would use this knowledge in Syncify.
0: Yeah. So for us, we don't really want to over addict people as such. Uh, so we more want to like replace and make their time more beneficial to them on something they're doing anyway. So basically, what we want to do is replace the I want to listen to a podcast feeling with a I want to listen to a podcast on Synkify because it's going to be more social than just doing it normally. So we don't want to like take up the any spare moment whatsoever, so that you can't even sit at the dinner table or that like, you get distracted like whilst you're working. The spare moments which you already have defined for listening to podcasts when you're going for a walk or like you're cooking that you would be doing this anyway. Like we were going to make that time better and more social. And hypothetically speaking, maybe you don't need to be so social on like the other moments, and you could get some of your headspace back. Would be nice but we're not going to try and own your mind space and he has an interesting like framework for helping you get to this root emotion of like doing the five whys so you kind of keep on asking until you reach an emotion so you start with like okay why do people use email because they want to send and receive messages so then why do they want to send and receive messages because they want to share and receive information quickly so they want to share and receive information quickly so they know what's happening with coworkers and friends but why Okay, because they want to know if someone needs them, and why do they want to know if someone needs them because they fear being out of the loop. And so it's kind of fear that you're kind of going to be out of the loop is why you're using email, but it sort of takes that chain. So we kind of would have something similar there on like, okay, yes, you want to learn from podcasts, but also you, you fear missing out on your friends and what they're doing, and you want to actually be closer to them and more in touch. So I'd like it to be a more a positive emotion than a fear one. But maybe that is, is our thing. Interesting.
1: Yep, yeah, cool. And From a external trigger point of view, how would you approach that? Like, have you thought about that? Because there's different ways of
0: doing it. Yeah. So we kind of want to go down the relationship referrals, viral growth. Where possible, one, it's not paid. But two, it's when people land in the app. It needs to be social. That's the whole point of it. So if you land in the app and we paid for an advert that you clicked on, and you're like, "Oh, this great new social app where none of my friends are. What's the point in us paying for you to land on this app that's empty?" And you're like, well, I've got all my podcasts on my old podcast player. And we're kind of just wasted our money on distracting you for a bit and like not giving you any experience a benefit. So really, we think we're going to rely on viral because of if I invite you, like you've already got a friend on Syncify, so you can be in sync with me.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and so I think it's going to be very important for you to make sure that having friends adds value to the Syncify experience. Yeah, definitely. That it's not just like, okay, I can see what you're listening to and, and that's it, you know? I feel like it needs to be stronger than that where you can communicate and, you know, get suggestions and and maybe like uh, get pushed conversation topics or something like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. We're trying to think of like what other sort of the mechanisms that are sort of rewarding in terms of like on Facebook, it's like the number of likes that you get is like the reward currency. But we're thinking, how can we make it so it's more like how good a friend you're being? So you can be recorded by like how good your relationship is because of, like, okay, what's the amount of time you spent listening with your friend or what's the amount of conversation that you've had around this topic afterwards with this person or how what's the kind of to-dos that you've agreed to afterwards or how many re- referrals have you sent to this person that they've liked and you can get like a score of how much people like your referrals or something. And so trying to reward people based on being like really useful to each other rather than just for getting attention in general. So yeah, it's kind of interesting.
1: We'll get to that point at the end, it's how to like build something, like how to really be successful in following the hook model. Of course, you're not going to do it by sitting in a group of people and brainstorming. That's not how startups and product building works, but we'll get uh, into that a bit later. All right. So let's discuss the next part of the hook model. So first the trigger. So let's say that you have found a successful external or internal trigger and you have convinced your user to do an action. And so the action in this case would be, uh, for example, posting a picture or looking at the next picture on Instagram or something else. And that is what companies want you to do, what is going to be the main action around which the whole hook model is formed. And so there's two factors that are important to get a user from the trigger towards doing the action. And that is, they need to have both the ability and the motivation to take the action. And so there in the book, Nir AL shortly discusses what actually motivates people. And so there's three main motivators. First one is seeking pleasure or avoiding pain. Second one is seeking hope and avoiding fear. And the third is seeking social acceptance while avoiding social rejection. And so these are the main motivators that will make people do something. And As you discussed earlier, you want to avoid being out of the loop and you want to know what's up with people's lives. So that's like seeking social acceptance is is the third point that I made. But what I found interesting is that in in here he stresses actually, if you have to choose between making it easier for the user to take the action or increasing the motivation for the user. He actually says that making it easier is by far the most important. And so for companies, they should invest almost everything that they have into making it as easy as possible to take the action that you seek them to do.
0: It's like a nice graph that he has around like sort of the the amount of users creating content versus the ability to create it. And so you have things like Twitter and Pinterest where it's like super easy to create where like loads of people are creators versus bloggers and It's easy technically to write a blog, but it actually takes just like it's a huge investment on your side, so it's just not as easy. Whereas like Twitter is literally called microblogging because it's like just 180 characters back in the day, so it makes it so much easier for people to become creators and add value to the platform by like producing content.
1: And so you're saying that that's one of the reasons why Twitter and Pinterest went viral as opposed to most blogging. Websites.
0: The average blogging website is pretty hard to make big. Yeah, true. It's just a nice way to see it. Uh, yeah, he also talks about like the sort of heuristics and perception effects, which I find quite interesting. Like the scarcity effect and all these other ways to kind of help increase the motivators. So he just had like four main tactics for increasing motivation. So the first one is the scarcity effect. The same cookie. If it's in a jar that's almost empty, it's much more valuable than a cookie in a jar that's full. Cause it just doesn't look like it's popular or something. Then there's like the framing effect. So if you look at like a world-class violinist, but they're in a tube station, like you probably just walk past them cause you wouldn't even know. Whereas if they're at like somewhere where it's like 300 pounds a ticket and somehow you get given a ticket, like shit, I probably should go just because of like, it's 300 pounds going to waste, even though you can just walk right past them when they're in a tube station. So it's just sort of the perceived value from like what it's framed by. There's the anchoring effect. So people just love like a discount or seeing that they're somehow getting something below its perceived value. So trying to just make things seem cheaper, even though maybe they already are that value. So that's why lots of stuff like Udemy, every course is $15 and yet they always come as like $200 for this course, but right now you can get it for $15. Or Domino's, it's always buy one, get one free. Always. If you ever bought a full price Domino's, there's something wrong with you. And yet you're always like, oh, we can get buy one free. Then you're like, it's just stupid. So that's the thing. And the last one is the endowed progress. So if you already feel like you're on the way to like completing something, it's much more exciting. So if you think of those stamp cards, when you buy a coffee and it's like, oh, complete 10 and you'll get a free coffee. So if you get like a complete 10 and they've already done two of them for you, you're much more likely to complete it And if you get a complete eight and they haven't done any of them for you because you don't feel like you've made any progress, even though you've still got eight coffees left to buy, but it like increases it by 90% the chance that you'll actually complete the card. And it's just sort of stupid stuff that you can like trick people into thinking they're making progress when they haven't even done anything, but it just sort of gives people that sort of that reason to keep on going, which is also important for other things like just recognizing let's say if someone's trying to start a diet or something just finding ways to show okay you've done something useful and like you haven't got like this infinite wall to get through you're already on the way and just trying to change any behavior and to like keep up your motivation so some motivation tactics that I thought were useful.
1: I really like those. And I think the author does a great job in giving all these examples with all of these points. And in the end, it's a book about human nature, which I always find interesting. And it's great to have these examples in there. Absolutely. What he also talks about, because I just made the case that making it easier to use the app is more important than motivating users (laughs) to use it. And so his strategy would be to sit down and analyze how users utilize what you're building, your product, and then try to reduce whatever they have to do as little steps as possible. So to give you one example, some of you may know, I used to work at a payment company. And so we did mobile payments. And so for us, like we needed to motivate people to get started in using the app, which is really hard because we're talking, you know, linking your bank account to some strange startup, which might be risky and stuff. So people were always scared. And so for us, it was critical to make it as easy as possible to get started with the app. There, we actually decided to incur a significant financial risk in order to make it easier for people to start using our app. So how we did that is we basically gave our users like 50 euros to pay basically for free. So we didn't really give it to them, but they could not pay it back to us. So we would forward it to them. They could use it to pay. And we would then afterwards take it back from their bank accounts. But there was a way for them to avoid us taking it back in which they would practically just receive 50 euros for free. And so we decided that it was worth to incur that financial cost in order to make it easier to start using the app because the difference in getting started was two minutes versus like 10 minutes. So yeah, that's the decision we made there.
0: That's kind of cool. And certainly worrying, but makes sense. It's like less risky than not risking it because of like, if you just sort of made it like 10 minutes up process, there's just no point. Like you'll just lose all the time that you've invested in building the app because no one will ever use it. But it's kind of a bit of a like scary bum moment. Oh no. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, it was a decision we made and uh, I mean, it proved essential because in the end, we want people to be able to download the app while they're waiting in line, waiting for their coffee, something like that. So that was the goal. And so we have to make sacrifices there. That's more about the action and how to get people to take the action. Next part is right after the action. And that's my favorite part of this whole book is a variable reward. So basically what Nir says is that whenever users take an action, you should give them a variable reward. And that's going to be by far the strongest weight to get them coming back. And so you might ask, okay, why not just give them a reward? And why is it so important to give them a variable reward? And so, yeah, for some reason, people, humans, they need like a novelty and they crave novelty and they find it so important. And I've already admitted multiple times that I am I use the 9GIG app too much. And I think it's the same with Instagram or with Facebook. You're scrolling down and, you know, every time You know that something's new is coming, but you don't know if it's going to be a cool, a good picture, a bad picture. Like it's always going to be variable. The same with posting a a picture. Am I going to get one like? Am I going to get 100 likes? There's always like some variability there. And that is what makes it so addictive.
0: Yeah. It's pretty insane. Like you just don't think it would be that powerful. And then when you go into it, you're like, shit, it's massive. And I think it says like the quote of like, what draws us to act is not the pleasure of the reward itself, but the need to alleviate the craving for that reward. And if it is just always like the same reward, it's just not that interesting. And like pleasure centers that get activated by like sex or sort of bargains or like new technology and gambling, they're like they're more active during like the participation of sort of getting it than the actual like reward itself. As in, once they actually have it, is they're not actually as excited by it kind of thing. So it's more of these anticipation of what the thing will be when you don't know it is like where you actually get like this nuts sort of center of like, I have to deal with this.
1: So they get more pleasure from the anticipation of the rewards than the reward itself.
0: Yeah. Like it says the pleasure center in the brain is, is more active. So it's like the thing telling you that you're going to have pleasure.
1: It's probably going to feel good, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think the school example of this is a slot machine. You put some money in, you pull a lever and you don't know what's coming. It's been shown that gamblers, they perceive most fun when they're pulling the lever not necessarily like afterwards after they see the reward so yeah there's lots of proof that the variability that's most important not necessarily the the reward itself but anyway let's talk some types of rewards right because there's actually three types of rewards there's rewards of the tribe rewards of the hunt and rewards of the self you want to give some context
0: tribe comes from the fact that we all want like social acceptance and to be part of the tribe and liked so all kind of social media posts etc kind of you're anticipating some kind of social validation and when you observe someone else being rewarded for a particular behavior you sort of alter your own beliefs and it kind of makes you more likely to want to be like that so you have like the variable likes to sort of show you how popular but like it can be done kind of well in terms of like league of legends when it started people were being like kind of dicks to each other and then they changed it into having honor points And so they actually sort of then changed this reward system so you actually became, like, a good member of the tribe. And suddenly people just, like, the mild, like, change of what you're motivated to do meant that people were really sort of seeking that reward to like be part of the tribe and sort of have a good status.
1: To jump into that, I was influenced by that because I used to play League of Legends like a few years back. And so the way it worked is like you had honor badges and they were extremely difficult to get. So basically at the end of every game, you had the opportunity to honor one of your teammates. And so if you as a player received enough honor points or whatever, you would get an honor badge. So First of all, you didn't know if you got honored or not. You didn't know how many honor badges or honor points you got. And so you didn't know how far you were towards getting that coveted honor badge. And so I saw my own playstyle and the way I acted in game change. Like I was like super nice, so, you know, supporting everyone was like, oh, it's okay, you tried, whatever. If we're losing, it's like, no problem, guys. We played well. Uh, we were just unlucky and stuff like that. I literally did that. And it's not even that I cared so much about getting that honor badge. It's so strange because it's not that difficult to be nicer, I think. And so it's like, yeah, subconsciously, it's like, that's so easy. So might as well try it, you know, and it works really well. And, and I can imagine that it, it changed, you know, the way the game was played basically.
0: And do you think because of that, you probably used the game more because everyone else was being nice to you and you felt also, because being nice yourself is actually really rewarding. Like you're like, shit, I'm a really great person. It kind of fits in with your ego and what you think about yourself when you are doing nice things. I don't think I
1: played it more. I think I played it differently. So I don't think the strategy was devised by Riot Games, the creators of League of Legends to get people to play more, but I'm 100% sure that it changed the way people play the game and it made it more enjoyable, especially for new people to start playing because these multiplayer online battle arenas like uh, League of Legends, and there are more, Toxicity, a lot of flaming going on. And I've been on the receiving end of flaming, also being on a giving end when you're playing with a teammate that you're relying on who's not very good. And so it's always good, I think, that these companies make it so people for good behavior makes it more enjoyable for everyone. How are you thinking about implementing variable rewards in ThinkFi? Good
0: question. I mean, I haven't thought a lot about it. So it's in, like we're saying around the sort of social currency, somehow for being a better person, one was kind of maybe like the scoring of like how good a referral was that you sent to someone. If you sort of send something to someone being be like, oh, you should listen to this podcast, you kind of get to see if they liked it or not, which could be like a direct sort of they could say how good that was, or maybe just you could see their rating on what you sent. So if you have a rating out of 10 for each podcast episode you listen to, you can see like what the average rating was of the things that you sent to people after they listened to it. And so that's just like a bit of a report. Then otherwise, hadn't thought so much about it obviously you have like just inherent variable rewards by like how many people are listening to things with you and you're not never going to be sure if someone's actually going to listen to a thing that you send to them on one side of it and then you just have the natural variability of the fact that you know other people are sending you referrals and stuff for stuff to listen to so you don't know what's going to be there so it's always like oh maybe there's an interesting podcast for me to listen to and Whenever you do listen to a new podcast, like it's always variable because you don't know if it's going to be as good as you hoped it to be or if it's going to be better. And so there's stuff there for sure that's constantly kind of variable, the same as like on Facebook, it's sort of if other people's posts, they're always going to be differently good in terms of when you're scrolling through your feed. But it doesn't quite tie into some of these things as much.
1: It's not self-evident. I fully agree. I think there's going to be some trial and error needed there.
0: let put some things in around like, So we're going to let people start making highlights and sort of playlists for each other. So maybe you'll start getting like ratings on that and how useful you are in terms of if you're making summaries and like, other people can see them and stuff. So I might listen to a bunch of different podcasts and you could sort of go through that. Oh, those are really good notes, Sam, and that kind of stuff.
1: Let's say you have a one-hour podcast episode that they can like take some snippets they bundle them together where you have something which is like three minutes long and then you know people can upvote it or like give it a rating and stuff like that
0: and maybe even like sort of comments as in there's always like hilarious people on youtube that might to get like an amazing comment that gets upvoted because it's so hilarious and you're like if you can do that where you add an audio comment and then if your friends really like it they can upvote it enough for it to be like a public comment so other people can listen to it as well and
1: i i really miss that with spotify by the way like I know why, but I used to listen to all my music on YouTube and I recently started using Spotify uh, just because it's easier. But I really miss like going through comments. You know, I like uh, house music and sometimes it's like a sick drop and like the comments are always uh, so funny. In good songs, I always see myself scrolling down and reading the first like 20 comments because usually there's a really funny one in there. And it's something I really miss for Spotify. And I think it might make a good diversifier to other podcast apps if people could uh, could comment. Anything else you'd like to add on the rewards side?
0: Yeah, well, there's the whole, the rewards of the hunt, as in you kind of just get excited by like chasing things and they also the rewards of the self. So you just sort of have a satisfaction of completing and like self-determination theory, like video games where you level up on stuff or just like master of things like using Code Academy or even email when you reach inbox zero and stuff and you're like, whoa, I'm beast. So those were the other things.
1: Yeah. And then, so the investment part, if you had told me about a framework, about habit-building products, I probably would have been able to come up with a trigger, an action, and like some kind of reward. But I found the investment part most eye-opening. Like I didn't realize how strong and how important it was that you get people to invest in your app. I was thought like if you build an app, it has to be as easy as possible. But in this part, Nir AL actually makes the case that you need to you know bother users in a way to have them do stuff to make it difficult for them because that's going to be the thing that's going to keep them coming back.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it just makes them really hard to leave. So like, Lenny just joined us on iTunes or Apple Music and like the rest of us all on Spotify, but she's just like, can't join Spotify because of Apple Music knows, knows her too well now. And so like when she goes on Spotify, she doesn't get stuff she's interested in. She's got all her playlists there and it's just like, she's invested too much time and it's really hard to switch, but like, it actually took you loads of time to actually put all those players together and find those things. And it actually it's a big effort from the user to do that. And you sort of don't think of it when you're creating an app that, you want to make anything hard or take people's time, but actually the more things that you can do for them to like make the experience better for themselves, the less likely they are to leave.
1: Exactly. So what I would do in your stead, let's put it that way, is make sure that you find a way to have like really good suggestions to people podcast-wise, like either people that like this podcast or listen to these podcasts also like this, or maybe these podcasts also talk about the same subjects, whatever. And so that I think would be a very good way to get people to stay on your app.
0: Yeah, so that's kind of the thing is in where we do think we've got like a, a good diversifier in terms of normally apps, they'll suggest lots of things to you based on like what you're subscribed to and stuff, but there's, there's not a lot of investment from your side and it, it's never that accurate. Like you don't really get excited by like what the algorithm suggests to you. Like I don't know if, how many times you click the links of other podcasts that are similar, but I don't really do that a lot. Whereas when it comes from a friend, like I do listen to what my friends tell me to do and like I do want to know what they are listening to. So that's like it's so much more powerful when you look at the statistics of where people listen to new podcasts it's usually from their friends even though it's really hard and awkward because you can't do that inside an app so that's kind of the opportunity we're going after of like we'll make it so much better to listen to new content and like discover stuff because of you're doing it the way you want to do it like through your friends rather than just through suggestions from something you don't know about
1: okay i might be wrong there but for me for example i consume more new content through the what youtube suggests than do what other people suggest
0: youtube is different like podcasts a bit more like personal and you maybe are interested in what other people think but it's quite a longer journey so you don't really just sort of take a risk for an hour and just like what an algorithm sends to you or something like, the title isn't that optimizing whereas like youtube you you also have the ability to just switch quickly and it it is just much better at like lining up content really relevant to what you just watched and they've also had like crazy more training data i think in terms of they really go into like how people engage with the stuff that they're watching and they've tested every video they watch like what was the best video to watch afterwards based on like fun things to see stuff so yes there is some of that to do on the podcast but i just don't think it's as relevant in the way that you consume them
1: yeah that makes sense okay so yeah i think that's for me everything about the framework itself in the four stages something else you would like to add
0: no that's that's good i think and then i guess going more into the um ethics of how to use this and doing it to like empower people to be like their best selves as opposed to just getting to use your app as much as possible it'd be fun
1: so for me what Nir Eyal does in the book is he makes a framework like a matrix where on one axis does it improve the user's life and on the other axis he has does the maker use it or not although I I believe that it might be a relevant way to analyze how successful a product might be I don't think it's the best way to analyze like should this product exist or is it really beneficial for me the real question is how do you define material improvement in users lives and i think there a lot of discussions could be had because i think that most social media initially was perceived by the makers as you know we're you know bringing long lost relatives together again or we're bringing old friends in touch and all that stuff and i think right now for example I think Instagram is very detrimental for especially young girls' mental health. They're constantly comparing themselves to more attractive, unattainable beauty standards, super successful people. Same for, for guys. I mean, it, I think it counts for everyone. And I'm not sure if, if the world became a better place because it came into existence. That's why I have a double feeling about this book. I think it's super strong and good to understand as a user. But it feels like giving drug dealers the tools or more information on how to make people addicted to whatever they're selling. So yeah, but, but that's my personal opinion. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I- Totally agree on. Definitely messes with your mind in bad ways and it doesn't seem like a good thing that it's sort of out there and like, like everyone sort of use that. But I guess all of those apps that get anywhere kind of learn those things. And like we're saying, we're not even sure if necessarily they use a the model deliberately or if it just kind of happens naturally. That sort if of by process of evolution is like, okay, let's optimize for clicks. And like, okay, these are the apps that happen to like have those elements in them. Because like Snapchat had, I think, 36 pivots before they got to Snapchat. And like, maybe if they'd been using Hooked earlier, they would have just like (laughs) arrived on it faster.
1: Yeah, I've just came up with this. So I haven't thought this completely through, but I, I feel like if a product is free, it means that the users are the product, right? And I think in most of the cases if you're using the hook model to hook people, to turn it into habits and to basically making people into addicts, I think it's uh, almost always a bad thing for the user because they're being turned into a product. And so a company is making money on them. And I think in those cases, it's mostly a net negative for the users. And then I think if you're paying for something, it can be different. So for example, I think you and I are both users of the waking up app, right? where, do you still use it?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So the Waking Up app is an app by the other Sam Harris. And so I think meditating is like a strictly beneficial habit. And in this case, I'm happy to pay for it because I think it helps my life and it's it's good for me. And so there, I know I'm not the product because I'm paying for it. If they would be able to make the app even more addictive for me, I think I would actually like it because I would meditate more and it would be more beneficial. So yeah, that's what I just realized. What are your opinions on that?
0: Yeah, definitely. So that's kind of, Why there is a bit of a sort of switch to more investment from VCs into products that are like paid and users are more accepting of that as they're realizing that if they aren't paying, then they are the product and you have like ulterior motives for your use. So like Facebook, yeah, it's in the business of connecting with your friends, but also it's in the business of you just spending as much time as possible on the app so that it can show you adverts and that's actually where it makes money. So Instead that means they're going to show you triggering content that makes you more likely to be on the app and it's not actually going to give you a true picture of who your friends are. It's going to show you like who's gonna really piss you off or who's going to make you like so excited with like join. It's just like it's a much more emotive experience that's of optimizes for your dwell time in the app. It, like has these like, weird sort of addictive gambling behaviors like the infinite scroll and stuff that just sort of makes you more like to see more and more ads rather than just like if you wanted to have like the quickest summary of like what your important friends are up to and being able to keep in touch with them you wouldn't build facebook you'd <laughs> you'd build a different app like the way it is but because it's free like it's designed to sort of do that and that's why we now have these other issues of like america's more divided than it's ever been just because of it you couldn't possibly understand why someone would vote republic if you're a democrat because you only see like why democrat is so amazing and you don't see any of the other side and like the other way so it's just sort of completely weird and polarizing content that you get you don't really get a picture of the world anymore because of that's why you're going to spend more time on it so yes definitely really bad things when you are purely funded by ads
1: all right so yeah that's it on the ethics part oh yeah finally i think the last part talks about how to accurately or effectively implement the hook model in your product building and i think for this the book that you should read is The Lean Startup by Eric Ries, because it's basically an adaptation of the build, measure, learn cycle, where you try something out, you measure the reactions of your users. And in this case, you can actually easily do it for each of the triggers. You can learn like, okay, what triggers leads to most actions, et cetera. So you can perfectly do use that um, cycle for that. And then you just keep evolving and, and keep cycling and, and make sure that your product gets better and better and more hooking every day. So um, <laughs> that's all of what I have to say on, on that specific part. Cool. All right. So ratings, Sam.
0: I sort of don't want to give it like the best rating ever because it sounds like I love using hooked models to addict people to things. But in terms of insights, I definitely thought that was the best book that we've read from the business side and definitely changed how I think about the world and made me very aware of like what the important things are for me to be focusing on for what we're building from a product perspective. So nine and a half.
1: All right. Well, I gave it up in beginning as well. I think uh, this is a book like a must-read for everyone, and it also profoundly changed the way I, I think about things. I'll give it a nine because I think I've been working with whole numbers <laughs> during our podcast, so I'll, I'll stay with there. But I think it's all close to it, and as as you can get, especially for the, for these types of books, and I think it's it's really great. It's also full of like good examples, and like it talks about games that I used to play and stuff. So really like it. All right, that uh, that rounds up this episode. In the next episode, we will be talking more technically about venture. Deals. So we're going to be reading the book Venture Deals, which talks about startup financing, all the legal stuff around that. It's going to be a, probably a drier episode, but we'll try and make it fun anyway. So uh it's going to be great. Speak to you then. It's going to be great. Cheers. Nice. Hey there, Nico here, your second favorite host of the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Sam and I would like to get some feedback from you. So what we're going to do from now on is each episode, we're going to select one random comment from the past week's. And we will give them a free electronic version of the book that we've just read. So if you like what we are doing, or if you don't like what we're doing, or if you have a comment or a question, just reach out and we might be in touch. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. As you know, we are doing this to try and help you get smarter. Well, I have another project for podcast listeners just like you who want to be smart. Nico and I learned so much from reading the same things together and discussing them and I wanted there to be a tool that made it easy for anyone to listen to the same podcasts and books together with their friends. So I'm building the app Syncify, which does just that. It connects you with your friends in the app, listen to the same things at the same time, or create shared playlists and work through them at your own pace. You can share comments and highlights of your favourite bits, and become smarter by seeing what your friends think around the same content that you enjoy. As a bonus... It also helps with your mental health and reduces isolation. Personally, I hate publishing my life on social media, which I find all rather anti-social. And I don't go out of my way to phone a friend for no reason other than the fact I feel lonely. But I do love doing things with other people. And having my friends listen to the same things is, is really awesome. I mean, I used to speak to Nico like once a year before we started this book club together. And now we talk all the time because we're just doing something together. So do yourself a favour and sign up for the Syncify app at syncifyapp.com and I really hope it helps. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show or learned anything new, be sure to share it with your friends. And I just can't tell you how great it is if you were to happen to leave a review on iTunes. These really do help quite a lot. If you have any questions or books that you'd like us to read, feel free to reach out to us through the website wiserpod.com or reach out to us on LinkedIn and just keep loving and keep learning and ideally keep listening. Big love from Sam and Nico and the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast.